The Georgia legislature recently passed a new voting law known as Senate Bill 202 that's been praised by the right as defending the integrity of elections in the state. However, the left and most mainstream media outlets in the U.S. really have claimed that this law is institutionalized voter suppression plain and simple. But which of these views is right, and does this Georgia voting law make it substantially more difficult for Georgians to vote in elections? Well, I'll be honest with you, I am truly not convinced that most people on both sides of the political spectrum who have taken sensationalist views of this law have actually read it because this law really isn't as strict or transformational as either conservatives or liberals would have you believe. And I get it, it's nearly 100 pages long, and it's also pretty boring since roughly half of it is about electoral procedure. Which, you know, isn't a particularly sexy topic, but really, if you're going to go on national television and make sweeping claims that Georgia is implementing a law that will either safeguard elections forever if you're on the right, or that's basically like the second coming of Jim Crow if you're on the left, well, you really should give it a detailed read first. And I'm seriously not convinced that that actually ever happened for most people talking about the law. Because I read every word of this new voting law signed by Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, and I was fully prepared to find some of the juicy things I've been promised. Conservatives have promised that the law contains strict voter ID provisions that'll guarantee the legality of every single vote. Liberals have waxed poetic about strict rules against giving bottled water to voters and making it basically impossible for minorities to register to vote or to vote absentee. But I'll be real with you, I didn't find any of that. Maybe the most shocking thing about this law is how boring it really is. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that Georgia didn't make some important changes to its voting laws that could have an effect on the ability of people to vote. But one thing I can definitively say here is, the sky does not appear to be falling. Also, based on my reading, this law really doesn't do much when it comes to making sure every quote-unquote legal vote counts, which has basically been the mantra of most conservative media outlets ever since the Republicans lost the Senate majority and presidency in November 2020. However, this was the message that Georgia Governor Brian Kemp insisted on giving when he spoke after signing the bill into law. I was the first to call for a change in state law through the legislature that would implement a photo ID requirement on all absentee ballots. We quickly began working with the House and Senate on further reforms to make it easy to vote and hard to cheat. The bill I signed into law does just that. First and foremost, SB 202 replaces the signature match process with a state-issued ID requirement to request and submit an absentee ballot. When voting in person in the state of Georgia, you must have a photo ID. It only makes sense for the same standard to apply to absentee ballots as well. Governor Kemp gives some pretty strong rhetoric about how in order to vote in the state of Georgia, you must have a photo ID to prove you are who you say you are and that you're eligible to vote. The problem is that that's not actually 100% true, because it is actually possible to vote in Georgia without a photo ID under this law. So if the governor believes that this law makes that a requirement, then there is a huge loophole in that law he probably should have taken a look at before signing it. Basically, if you're voting for the first time in Georgia and don't have one of the types of photo IDs that Georgia accepts to vote, you actually don't really need one in order to cast your ballot. It takes a little digging to find this out since it's not spelled out specifically, but if you look at sections 25 and 27 of SB 202, the voting law that was just signed, that Kemp is talking about, it says that to vote either absentee or in person, you need to provide one of the forms of ID listed in Georgia State Code 212417. Now in that law, all the forms of ID that it lists that you can use to vote are forms of photo ID. But if you're a first time voter and you register to vote by mail, which you can do by just providing the last four digits of your social security number rather than providing a photo ID, you can actually just show a copy of a utility bill or bank account with your name and a Georgia address on it in order to vote. The basic point is, contrary to what Brian Kemp has said and contrary to what both conservative and liberal media is reporting, more generally, if you are voting for the first time in Georgia, you do not actually necessarily need a photo ID. Also, the statement that you need a state-issued photo ID, which Kemp also mentions here, is actually just false. 
you don't need a state-issued ID to vote in Georgia based on this law. It's true that most people will need a photo ID of some kind in order to vote, but you can use an ID issued by literally any state or federal government agency. Some people could even use an ID from their job as long as it has a photo on it. So you don't actually need a state-issued ID in order to vote in Georgia. That's just not true. Now the law does make some important changes to voting laws, and some of them may limit the ability of people to vote. In fact, there is one very strange section of the new voting law in Georgia that could cause a number of Georgia voter ballots to be thrown out in the future. But before I get to those, it's worth mentioning that actually this law really does contain some changes that would actually expand voter access rather than suppress it. And that's really not just my opinion. It's kind of obvious if you actually read SB202. Kemp talked about it here after signing SB202 into law. The facts are that this new law will expand voting access in the Peach State. Every county in Georgia will now have two mandatory Saturdays of early voting and the option of two Sundays of early voting. So as Kemp says here, yes, SB202 does actually expand early voting. It allows for nearly three to four weeks of time before election day for people to cast early ballots. And Kemp is right that there are two Saturdays guaranteed and two Sundays that are optional depending on the voting district. That said, during the work week, People can only cast early ballots in person from 9 to 5, so someone would still have to take off work to vote early unless they did it on a weekend, in which case they may wait in line forever since nearly everyone else will have the same idea. So whether this early voting period will actually help the people vote early that are most in need because they have trouble getting off work on election day, it's not so certain. One group the bill does give greater voting access to without reservation, however, is people who are hospitalized. If you're in a hospital and you can't make it to the polls in the lead up to the election, you can actually request an absentee ballot in order to vote all the way up until the day of the election. This is a contrast to everyone else who votes absentee since normally you'd have to request it at least 11 days before the election. One of the more interesting parts of this bill that hasn't really gotten much press, but which could actually have a huge impact on the ability of people to vote in Georgia, both positively or negatively really, is Section 18. I'm actually shocked that liberals are not paying more attention to Section 18 because this is maybe the part of this new law that has the potential to make it most difficult for people to vote in voting districts where there's a lot of people. In the huge population centers of Georgia, like, say, Atlanta, which tend to vote heavily for Democratic candidates. Section 18 of the New Georgia Voting Law lets the superintendent of voting precincts with more than 2,000 voters quote-unquote reduce the size of the precinct by divvying up some of the voters among other precincts. In fairness to the law, the superintendent may also just add more voting machines if there's reason to believe there may be a delay causing not everyone to get to vote, but the real danger is that if a superintendent of a voting precinct wanted to, they could make it so people have to go vote in other precincts that may be farther away or more difficult for them to get to. Now, this provision of the law is described as an effort to reduce wait times for people to vote, which in theory is a great thing, but it also could easily confuse people regarding where they can vote. Imagine you're a service sector worker in Atlanta who took two hours off of work to go vote, only to find out the polling place you are supposed to vote at is actually different from the one you showed up at. Do you think that you'll then get the opportunity to vote since you have to get back to work? No, you won't. So the general idea of making lines shorter and making voting more efficient is a good thing, but the level of discretion that this gives precinct superintendents in Georgia is somewhat problematic if the goal is increasing voter access and simplifying the process. This is actually even more problematic because section 35 of this voting law, which is maybe the weirdest part of this law, says that if you vote in the wrong precinct but are otherwise eligible to vote, your vote will only be counted if you voted after 5 p.m., but before the close of regular voting hours, meaning if voting hours are extended by, for example, court order, it's not clear your vote would be counted. So you combine confusion potentially over which precinct you're supposed to be voting at with anyone voting before 5 p.m. or after regular polling hours and having their ballot thrown out if they voted at the wrong precinct. So that basically gives them like three or four hour window where their ballot counts at all if they show up at the wrong precinct. 
There's also another thing in this law that could cause decreases in voter access, and it's pretty simple. Section 26 of SB 202 limits the number of ballot drop boxes that can exist to one per 100,000 registered voters in a county. Now, it also says that they have to be under constant surveillance by election officials for security purposes to prevent tampering or ballot box stuffing or anything like that. And so I guess it sort of makes sense to try to limit the number of ballot drop boxes to limit how many people you need to watch them. But think about this for a second. One Dropbox for every 100,000 registered voters. Not just per 100,000 people, but 100,000 registered voters in any given voting district. To put that in context, there's probably about 350,000 registered voters in the city of Atlanta. So under this law, there will only be between three and four Dropboxes for ballots in all of Atlanta. I mean, come on. I'm all for saving money on Dropbox observers, but really? We can't spring for like 10? I mean, that just seems insane to me. Atlanta isn't a huge city, I guess, but it's like, it's like they want to play Where's Waldo in the city trying to find a Dropbox for your ballot. That to me is probably the one thing in this voting law that I can't really explain in any way other than as a tactic to limit voter access, I guess. Because as I've said, there are some things in this voting law that increase voting access, some things that decrease it, and some things that really don't have much of an effect. The new voter ID requirements could reduce voter access for some, but really for the vast majority, it's probably not going to be a huge problem. And for new voters, they don't even have to have a photo ID at all, really. Something that falls under the heading of a false story when it comes to this new Georgia voting law is one told first by the left and now jokingly by the right about voters in line not having access to water. You don't need anything else to know that this is nothing but punitive designed to keep people from voting. You can't provide water for people about to vote. Give me a break. Okay, I mean, aside from the fact that no one has ever offered me water in my life while standing in line to vote, this story also happens not really to be true. The law doesn't prevent voters standing in line from getting water. This is actually a pretty strange thing for anyone to say because Section 33 of SB 202 actually explicitly says that poll workers can make water available to voters standing in line to vote. I'm not sure if someone misread that as saying that they can't offer voters water and someone ran with it because they thought that's what it said, but yeah, direct quote from the law. This code section shall not be considered to prohibit a poll officer from making available self-service water from an unattended receptacle to an elector waiting in line to vote. So I can only guess that this story came from the other parts of section 33 of the voting law that say no one can give money or gifts, which include food and drink specifically, to voters waiting in line to vote. I guess someone took this to mean people can't be given water while standing in line to vote, but how that became a national story, I really have no idea. But look, in the end, the point here is that there is some good in the new Georgia voting law. There's also some bad. In terms of whether it constitutes voter suppression or is comparable to Jim Crow laws, no. I mean, that's obvious hyperbole. That's way over the top of what this law does, just based on what it actually says. I mean, you don't even have to show proof that you live in the voting district you are voting in, which, of course, wouldn't be a perfect system either, since you have people like college students who return home to vote. But still, how is it making elections more secure if anyone with a picture ID who happens already to be registered in a voting district can cast a ballot? You can literally live in Alaska and just be making the trip back to Georgia solely for the purpose of voting, and if you had an Alaska state ID, they'd let you vote in Georgia. So what is this law really doing to secure elections anyway and guarantee that the only people who can vote are the people who actually live in that district? It extends early voting a little, it makes it harder to find a ballot drop box, but one thing it really doesn't do is ensure that the people who vote actually are supposed to be voting in Georgia. Thanks for tuning in today, and if you liked what you heard, please follow or subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And you can stay up to date on all our future content by liking us on Facebook or subscribing to our YouTube channel at The People's Pack. Have a nice day, and see you next time.